On Education is sponsored by Participate, a community learning platform where the world learns together. Later in the episode, we'll hear about one of Participate's partners, The Sandbox, and how you can get involved in its free community learning opportunities and live streams. We ready to do this then? Let's do it. Welcome. No, wait, you start. My bad. I forgot. You start. <laughs> Don't steal my lines. Welcome to On Education, part of the On Podcast Media Network. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Brad Schreffler. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We'll talk about how we make education the frontier of experimentation and why we might want to do that, about some real role models you can show your students tomorrow, and our guest this episode is educator and author Dan Ryder. So, how's it going? You know, it's good. I, I would say, like, work is somewhat calming down. I mean, Are I think I'm down to, like... Are you working, like, 12, 13 hours a day still? It's down to, like, 10 and 11-hour days, so that's okay, something. That's Small yep. improvements, but I'll take it. I'll take it feeling are you tired oh yeah i'm exhausted i like so where i'm at high school start at six at uh, 6 45 like i have to be at school at 6 45 every day um and like well, getting up at 5 a.m every single day is rough. exhausting yeah like are you a late night like have you been habitually a night person too like yeah, I don't. I don't really like to sleep. I feel like it's a genuine waste of time. So <laughs> I, because if I could get those eight hours back every day, think about how much more I could do. But so yeah, but like last night I went to bed around eleven or eleven thirty, and I paid for it today. It was it was I was tired. So it yeah, just stinks. yeah, yeah. That sucks. That's uh, that's that's pretty early. Um, so people listening can't see me, but I am um, red like a tomato. And, and, and that's because I've been outside a lot the last couple of days. My sister and brother-in-law came to visit for a couple of days. And I, I thought this was interesting to talk about just because of the difference between Canada and the United States and even more specifically Florida <laughs> is that this is the first time anyone has been in our house for any extended period of time um, since, since March 2020 um so we're talking like they stayed overnight they stayed they stayed in the office here that i'm in now they slept in in here um and um you know we've had um a couple weeks ago we had people over for um a swim but we were like outside the whole time virtually um we showed them the basement and stuff because we got it renovated um, but that was it. And like, we're, we were nervous, all of us, even like them <laughs> and kids. Like, I mean, we have Jacob and they, they have a daughter who, who isn't vaccinated cause she's too young. Um, but it's funny because down there y'all are acting like nothing ever happened in a lot of cases. Except yeah. For these... I went out yesterday and last night had dinner, went to a bar and grabbed a beer. Like that's, you know, just normal stuff. I did wear a mask, um, until I got to the bar. But I mean, yeah, it, like you said, it's, it is, it is, I, I've been dealing with all this a lot um, because it is this weird dichotomy of all my friends that I know on Twitter and are in other parts of the country and other parts of, you know, Canada, a lot of people in Canada, they're like fear and, and concern about the virus. And we just kind of, 
like act like it doesn't happen. And I mean, I like to believe I'm careful. I wear a mask everywhere, but it's kind of hard to completely isolate myself at home when I go to a school with 2,500 kids every day. Like the exposure is there. The risk is there. It kind of is what it is. And, you know, it's not right. It's completely wrong on so many levels, but it is it is definitely different down here. Interesting. Yeah. So anyways, we had a good weekend and uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but we're definitely going to pivot this episode now yeah. to fun, happy things. Cause it's I think be a happy episode. Y- you know what's funny is that we could spend every single episode, the entire episode every time, talking about the crazy, bad, nonsense stuff that happens in education. Um, and, and, but, but there's some, definitely some interesting things that have been on my mind. And one of the, one of the things that, um, I just read today, I was reading an article about a streamer, um, who, and and I'll, I'll link the article because it's fascinating. He streamed, um, as if he was a character in the Sims and, um, created a way for people to, um, basically interact with him and tell him what to do as if you were playing the game and had even like a, a health meter and a food and like the the food and the sleep and the energy meters and stuff like that. Um, and when they interviewed him about why he was doing it, he talked about wanting to like push the medium as far as it could go. Like to really find some interesting creative ways to to deliver content in ways that no one has ever done before and you know it felt super aspirational and and i you know i feel like i've said this a few times that we don't really do like like if you if you think that using google docs in your classroom is innovative and cutting edge i'm sorry but like just teaching like it's not you're not breaking barriers anymore um and and we don't do a lot of that we're 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 really afraid generally of crazy things and i would love to encourage people to think about how they could like really do something bonkers um because you know anyone who's listened to the podcast for any extended period of time has heard me say talk about how the education system as we know it has only existed the way it exists now for a couple, maybe, maybe 150 years, you know, not, not in all like the grand scheme of things, not that long we've been teaching. So I don't know why we think we know how everything should work and what we should be doing and what works and what doesn't. We only have really three, maybe three generations of experience. And to be honest, kind of turn into shit if you ask me (laughs) so so i mean you know in that context maybe we should be thinking about things that we're doing and how we might be able to do them better what do you think of the idea of i don't i don't know what i would love to hear some people's thoughts on what bonkers things they could do imagine that imagine imagine that yeah and i think like i i agree it is kind of like to me, there's a difference, but when you say it's been 150 years, I'm like, that's a long time. I, I can barely count that high. Um, and then it, but when you look at, it's really only been three generations. Like yeah. my grandparents went to what probably the early stages of yeah, your great your great grandparents were not taught the way that we teach now. 
Well, and even no, no, no. even our grandparents' generation, most of them didn't finish high school. It That's wasn't right. you know it wasn't even really built as a thirteen year system at that point. That's right. Um, so uh, to even say that it's been one hundred and fifty years is also misleading because the system has changed periodically throughout that time too. Um, you know, and so yeah, it it is it's it's but there's this there's this pressure to like say that things are working on some level. You know, it's like we all admit that there's problems in education, but ultimately we think the system as we've designed it will probably work and will produce good people or or well-rounded students or citizens or whatever you think the goal of education is. Um, but yeah, there's so much opportunity to just do something different. Get outside the the bounds of what we think it is. And, and I think my frustration is the schools that are most often doing that are not public schools. I wish yeah. like it wasn't charters doing that that also have questionable motives beyond just changing education. I wish we had a system that allowed for public schools to take more risks and take more innovation and push for something um, without kind of the stakes that we've built into the system. Yeah, yeah. I would really like to see the freedom, like like your, for example, your role. You know, you are an, an assistant principal in, in charge of delivery, uh, like like in charge of the teaching, like in, in the pedagogy. And, and it's like, you know, so folks like you can really make a difference in this, I think, in letting teachers have the freedom to do... Like, there's the pressure, right? I imagine there's immense pressure to... to to, to do what's always been done and to do it the way that, you know, your boss does it or do it the way that the predecessor did it. Um, you know, whether that person was, was good or not, I guess is a different story. But it's, it's like, you know, you have an incredible opportunity to allow, to give autonomy to teachers to be able to do things like what the streamer did in Twitch because I really just feel like, that's a space where innovation is really happening. And, and, and I don't understand why we couldn't do the same thing in education. And, you know, what's stopping us? What's, what's really stopping us? And, you know, it's longer than an hour conversation. Right? <laughs> there are, there are probably, there are literally books written about it, but uh, I do want to share the article so that people can see it and hopefully it gets people's minds going. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know how many APs, principals, school leaders listen to the show. You know, I don't, I don't know what that number looks like. And, but I, I think, you know, that is very much the argument that got me to finally break down and go get my master's and become a school leader is that I wanted to be that leader that I always needed and I always wanted as a teacher. You know, I wanted to be that, that leader that said, you know, when you came in, my ultimate example of is like when I come into a classroom and something goes horribly, horribly wrong and something they were trying to do, if they were trying to do something they've never done before and it goes poorly, yes, awesome, do it again. Like, try it differently next time. Like, give it a shot. Um, I just highly, like that, I just get excited about. And so I wanted to be that leader that threw out the observation that day and came back another day when it went better, but not use that as a way to go get my teachers and, and give them bad scores and whatever else they're worried about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So Brad, did you know that there was a refugee Olympic team? 
not until I uh, saw this in the show notes. I did not. I, that's really awesome. I think it's amazing. I didn't know this until I wrote it in the show notes that there is a there is not only a refugee Olympic team um, that participated in the Tokyo Games, 29 athletes from 11 countries competing in 12 sports, but there are also six members of the Paralympic refugee Olympic team. Um, and, and I just, listen, in a world where we really need role models, like in the worst way, and them to not be, you know, I'm not going to name names because I don't want to offend people. <laughs> it's a happy like, episode. <laughs> to not be the people that we are using as role models, because not only do they generally not want to be role models, um, but they definitely don't try to be in some, in most cases as well. Um... These are, you know, this is this is what 35 of probably the most inspirational, brave, skilled people that you would ever meet. And the 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 things that they've overcome, the things they've overcome to get to that point where they're competing on the world stage as an elite athlete is unbelievable to me um there's a video we're gonna link it in the show notes that the olympic um the olympic committee created for them or whatever but it's what a what a story these people must have Hmm. awesome (laughs) yeah i i it's i mean to like to try to like i don't know to go to it's kind of cool to just leave your country right and usually not necessarily that you wanted to but then to go back to an event that is so like centered on country and patriotism and 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 then to go back as this sort of disconnected independent group and then compete it's awesome it it is really cool I, i agree that's pretty awesome imagine just it's just unbelievable so listen if you're looking for someone to like put up in front of your students as as a as a role model of you know things that overcoming adversity uh, I'll tell you, I can't think of better people than this. And um, finally, you know, it's funny. You, you think you could get through an episode without us talking about video games, but you're wrong. Never. <laughs> that never happens, and we're not starting today. <laughs> you're wrong. You couldn't get through it. Um, if you were wondering, <laughs> and I don't know if you were, but but I just read that Minecraft Dungeons, which is like the have you played Minecraft Dungeons? Yeah, we've played together. We played when it first Did came out. Did we play with, together? Yeah, you and I and Steve, I think. Steve, right? I couldn't yeah. remember if I played with you or not. I know I played with Steve and streamed it, so you might have watched us play. But hey, there you go. You played with us. That's great. Uh comes out on Steam. So if you uh haven't bought it for Switch and you haven't bought it on the Microsoft App Store and you haven't bought it on Xbox or PlayStation or through the <laughs> Minecraft launcher. Hey, now you can buy it on Steam starting September 22nd, which is, you know, in a couple weeks. Yeah. What did you like, think of uh, Minecraft Dungeons? It's fun. It's fun. It, you know, it's not my normal style of game. You know, it's got like that sort of Diablo gameplay style that is just not not really my thing personally, but it was it's fun. It's entertaining. You kind of you kind of work through and and upgrade your weapons and get newer stuff and that was kind of cool and I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. I played it for like three days and then haven't touched it again since. 
which is yeah. actually pretty standard for me. That's not Yeah, I was going to say, that's like pretty normal gameplay. I think one habits. of the only games that's held me in longer than that recently was Hades, um, which is so much fun. Um, and that one got me for, for a solid few weeks. And actually, I think I want to pick <laughs> that up. That one got you up. for four days. Yeah, that one got me for... No, that one got me for like two weeks. I was I was pretty into it. Yeah? That. So yeah, Hades is super fun. If, if you enjoy roguelikes, um, it's... It's really, really cool, and you, it's one of those that, and I think it's on sale right now on um, on the um, uh, Switch store. But it's one that's perfect for the Switch because it's just a great, like, sort of easy play. But it's one that it kind of sneaks up on you. I'll I'll pick it up and I'll say, oh, I'm gonna do one run before I like go to bed, and then I get so close to a good run, and I'm just okay. Well, I gotta give it one more shot. I'm gonna give it one more shot. Give it one more shot. Just gets you. It sneaks at you, and it's just. Super fun. Plays with some some mythology stuff and and just yeah, it does. It's entertaining. Very entertaining. One, it, it basically dominated game of the year twenty 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 game of the year. Mm-hmm. Hades was game of the year for almost everybody. So yeah, right. Like it so. was it was it was no joke. Um, so that's cool. I actually own it. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe I actually own it for Switch and for PC, but I still haven't played it. I I did the whole play it for a day and then not mm-hmm. play it again um, yeah. but i should install it on my switch oh because i'm traveling oh that's exciting i'm, I'm coming to america america <laughs> i'm coming where are you going um i'm going to new york city okay. in uh in two weeks it's not particularly um, close to me but that's cool no that's cool. no so i'll be in new york city september the uh 8th 9th and 10th nice um, those borders opened and there you go you're just free in the world flying so i'm um, new york city and then going to montreal a couple weeks after that so i'm back baby going going places nice. gotta gotta do stuff so uh when we come back uh, this interview has been so long overdue it's embarrassing um we're gonna talk to uh dan Ryder. so stay with us we're building this virtual community of educators who share an interest in game design and teaching new skills. We will use this space to connect, collaborate, and innovate with Sandbox. That's Sebastian Bourget. He's the co-founder and chief operating officer at The Sandbox. This community is here to provide guidance, support, feedback, and suggestions on how to best use The Sandbox within the context of teaching and learning how to make video games. It allows also to connect experts and educators, bringing together existing creators and members of the Sandbox game platform community with professional educators. The Sandbox community has grown into a vibrant space of 100 plus educators. How can you get involved? More to come later in the episode. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest is an award-winning educator, a self-professed comic book, movie, sports, music, comedy, design, history, technology, clothing, pop culture nerd, and definitely can talk about video games because we just spent 15 minutes doing that before we even went live. He's the (laughs) co-author of Intention, Critical Creativity in the Classroom, and the Education Director of the Success and Innovation Center at MT Blue Campus in Farmington, May. This conversation is incredibly overdue. Welcome to the podcast, Dan Ryder. Hey, thank you for having me, Mike and Brad. Yeah, this in is fact, great. this conversation is so overdue, I'm not even the Director of the Success and Innovation Center at Mount Blue Campus anymore. 
Holy oh, crap. Oh, Mike's Did research failed It's him. okay. Hey, hey, Mike, you're okay. You're okay. Dan has not updated his bios very well. <laughs> yeah, um, tell us what you do because you need to introduce yourself anyway. So tell us what you're, where you're at now. Did you switch schools? I think you did. I did. I switched districts for the first time in my life. Wow. And to some people, that's not what. So, like, I switch districts every year. I was in the same place for 23 years. You so. know what the funny thing is, though, is that in, in the U.S., that's pretty common. In in Canada, people stay, people don't switch schools even. People don't switch school districts ever. Um, in, and so it's actually, you know, pretty normal down here. So tell us where you're at and what you're doing. So uh, after uh, the Success Innovation Center grant ran out that and, and my program there uh, unfortunately wasn't supported by our local uh, school board or the, the school dis uh, the superintendent at the time, uh, which is a bummer. Um, but a whole story unto itself, so we won't mm. <laughs> we won't keep going down those paths. But I had a uh, an opportunity to go to work for CRCS, which stands for Community Regional Charter School, uh, Overman, which is uh, so CRCS Overman is a public charter school uh, for grades seven through twelve in downtown Skowhegan, Maine. It's project-based, it's community-centered, and it's unapologetically learner-focused. So it's a, a customized learning-centric school with proficiency-based uh, assessment systems. So it's all about learning targets, ascribing those learning targets to pathways that are specific for the kid, helping that kid to you know, demonstrate those learning targets through projects that matter things that uh, awesome. have an impact on the community things that have an impact on them as people things that have an impact on the greater world um and uh doing so in whatever way uh works best both for the kid and for the place where we live and the place where they want to work and so on and so forth so it's pretty rad um it's not pretty rad it's amazingly rad it's the school i would have created had i created a school instead of a success and innovation center. I was going to say, it probably kind of feels good to be at a place where they're doing things the way that we always say you should be doing them. That is exactly <laughs> what it is. And it's not without, I mean, yeah, we like, we have our hitches, <laughs> we have, but our, our ideals, our values, our vision, uh, is, is, is shared. Like we, yeah. we it's, you're, we're not like sitting there going, well, if only we cared about the same things, <laughs> like the principal right. and I, or the, the the director and I, or the the other people. We're like we we care about the same stuff. We believe in the same things. Sometimes we just disagree on on the best way to do it, but it's not because we don't share that core value. Um, and, and the way to do it can be worked awesome. out, like yeah. between critical thinkers and professional people you know you can you can hash out the way to do things right oh absolutely and we don't actually have huge disagreements i mean the disagreements come down to really little minor things that aren't really that significant in the, which also makes the disagreements not really that heated or intense it's more just like really do we think that's the best well okay <laughs> you know and, right. and it's like okay we can agree to disagree on this one because uh, in the grand scheme we know we're doing what's, what's what we think is best for kids in the service of their future and such. So, you know, we 
it's it's like a school that is essentially a giant two-story maker space in a repurposed building in a small uh former mill town uh rural main community uh that is uh, trying to reinvent itself and so the building itself and the school itself is like reinventing itself okay. and the school's only the upper school you know where i am has only been in existence for like four or five years now so um i you know i came in uh after last year had started and this is my first gonna be my first year of starting the year and it just it's it's awesome i i flip and love it and this isn't to say i didn't love my old school i did love my old school uh just it got to a place where i realized that the values had just become so divergent uh between what i thought mattered in education and what the upper 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 leadership believed like above the the school building level that i just it wasn't going to work out anymore. Hmm. You know, it's it's interesting because in the in the priest, you know, the the intro portion, Mike and I were talking about how, you know, we need true innovation in education, and that what we call the modern school system has really only been around for 100, 150 years, and and we don't see a lot of true innovation actually occurring. But this kind of sounds similar to what Mike and I were talking about of just like somebody taking the entire system and turning it upside down and saying. We should be doing something different. Um, so that, it sounds it sounds cool. I'm, I'm curious, though, as as an assistant principal at a high school and graduation requirements and getting kids to college has become everything I think about all the time. What is that when you're in such a divergent system that is not following the traditional path? How how do students fare when they get out and go back to a traditional, quote unquote, experience? Right. So when you think about uh, divergent experiences, of course, then you have to immediately go to dystopian science fiction novels, um, <laughs> you know, featuring current uh, loves of professional football players. But <laughs> but that's just me. So every time I hear every time I hear people say we need to use divergent thinking, I see Shailene Woodley and I'm like, this is so odd. Why is my brain doing this? But um, that's me sidestepping the question as I've learned, is what you do now in uh, American discourse, uh, <laughs> of, of all things that matter. But we haven't had, uh, we, we graduated our first seniors last year. So we're about to find out how they do yeah. out in the quote-unquote real world. But I can tell you this. I can tell you that our our two of our learners graduated last year with all but, like, I want to say, I think they were each... One was six credits shy and one was 12 credits shy of having their complete first year of college done at the, through the university main system by taking pre-college courses. Like they were, they, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a disruption to their experience. It was like, it, the school is built for when a learner is ready to get into those pathways. You don't have to apply to be part of a special program. You don't have to be selected. You don't have to be tapped or recommended. Like, everybody's working with everyone. And you're like, dude, it is time for you to take a college course if you want to do it. And and by its time meaning, you've shown that you're capable of that type of thinking. You're like, yeah, but I'm a sophomore. Who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. You yeah. don't have to wait until XYZ pilot program finally taps you. 
which is that feels good, eh? Tends tends to happen, right? So, yeah. so in that respect, we're able to get our you know our learners into those sorts of of pipelines. Um, the reason why we have an upper school speaks directly to what you were just saying about what happens when you when you transfer into something traditional because a few years ago when those same seniors were in like sixth grade those families started asking what's going to happen when when they get to ninth grade and the (laughs) answer was well you all go back to your home districts because the the charter school at that point was just k through eight and they're like oh that's not gonna go well you know, <laughs> like, um, but so, so that's why they created the upper school for that purpose. Um, most of our learners, uh, that have transferred in and I, and I, I'm not an admin, so I don't want to get too like, I don't want to make, I want to make sure the things I say are like accurate. <laughs> and then, then I'm like that, that, you know, if the admin team listens, they're like, what did you say? <laughs> um, but most of our learners coming in who transfer in, it's because the traditional system has not worked for them. It's mm-hmm. the it, it's that either they haven't been getting their needs met, they felt like they've fallen through the cracks, they have felt marginalized, um, they have felt um, disengaged, um, and then when they come in and do a tour of the school, because again, public charter. So it's not like uh, it's not a private school. There's no tuition paid, and we're not competing with anybody. We we do get their, you know, the the money follows the kids, so to speak. They say, in charter land, but but it's not like we're going out there into schools and saying you ought to come here, because you're not do you know schools aren't good enough. We're just saying here's an alternative. If you want to come here, come tour it. See what you think. And we do share our mission. We talk about what we do all the time. So there is a little bit of evangelicalizing in that in that way. But in you know, really we don't know what it's gonna look like for for kids going into college because we are just now seeing it. But in terms of our learners go and do tech programs all the time, right? With the same kids that they would be if they were in their home districts, they do great. Like our one mm-hmm. two of our students received the the year-end uh, uh, like award for their respective tech program last year to two rising seniors um, were recognized in their respective programs um, at their home tech schools so um, now that's like a tech school isn't exactly traditional either but the point being like they function pretty well um, but it's a good question and we don't know we, we're we're really hopeful they're going to do great, and mm-hmm. all signs point to that. And we've got a ton of kids who went right into the workforce. We we graduated fourteen. There was only fourteen kids in our first graduating class, and then and then we're, our typical graduating classes are going to look more like thirty five to forty. So it's um yeah it's. It's intended to stay small. The design of it is to be small and to be uh, something that may not work for everybody, but hopefully it works for those who can. And the reason I talk about what we do is because a lot of the stuff we do is stuff that I wanted to do in 
the traditional system and that I did kind of surreptitiously, like underground. Uh, mm. I, I didn't sneak it. I didn't like not tell people what I was doing. Duh. Like <laughs> what's on freaking Twitter <laughs> telling everybody what I've been doing for the past like eight years. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't an expectation. That's what everybody did. It's awesome. Nor would I force everybody to. I think, yeah. So, there's a room for tradition too. What? <laughs> we can have all the things. Yes. <laughs> so, talking about what you've done historically, talk to us a little bit about about your book, which yeah. I just love the I love the title of it alone. Just like intention, critical creativity. I just feel like is a great concept just on its own. But talk to us a little bit about your book, what it is, um, and and why you wrote it. Yeah, so my friend Amy Burval and I wrote it after collaborating for years on these kind of creative projects, just like formulating ideas of what to do with our, our learners. She's in Hawaii and was a classroom teacher at the time. And I'm in Maine at the time. She was at a private school in Hawaii at the time. I was in a public school in Maine at the time. So we were like, but we were always like tweeting back and forth to each other and, and instant messaging each other. Oh, what if you did this? What if you did that? Oh, what if we tried this and that? Um, because what we were finding is that every time we incorporated a form of creative expression into the learning experience, no matter if it was for AP Lit or she was in an IB school, so whatever program in in International Baccalaureate that she was happened to be teaching in at the time, like it didn't matter whether it was those learners or if it was super struggling, I don't even know why I'm here, learners, the, their engagement was stronger and their transfer was stronger and the their depth of understanding was like infinitely more clear when uh, when they were given the opportunity to express those things through creative expression, express those th that thinking. So the idea behind critical creativity is that in order to make successful forms of creative expression, you have to really understand your subject matter and you have to have some idea of the medium that you're expressing it through. And that in doing, and, and all the choice making that you have to do in order to get to that point where you've expressed that idea, you're doing all that in-depth, higher order on the blooms that you're looking for. All the critical reasoning, if you're, you know, if you're on a, a Marzano uh, a model, like all of those, all of those things are happening. Uh, and the only way to find that out is by finding out what the intention is. By finding what was your thinking behind why you did what you did. You've got to ask that of the, the learner and they have to express that. Um, because we've all seen the projects. We've all seen the projects that are like beautiful, right? And you're like, that's great. Nice job on your tree that represents the book about trees. And everybody's like, oh, it's so pretty. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. And what happens to it? It's in the dumpster. Right, so, so I have a chapter. We have a chapter called called "No More Dumpster Projects," because mm. that's that's where so much of that thinking ends up. Because there there's no reason why there was no reason why that project truly demonstrates the thinking. It's just pretty, and then you're just assessing a piece of artwork. 
You're not really assessing whether or not they know anything. And that happens a lot, right? We've seen that. How many projects, like book report projects have we seen? And it says make a poster of the book, right? And it's just like, uh, or an alternative. My favorite that I got through school one was the, was the alternative book cover. <laughs> oh, yeah. I <laughs> yeah, paid sure. attention twice in class. I can make a book cover. <laughs> Solid B every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Right? Sure. Uh, so the idea is, all right, so make a book cover. Now, explain why you chose the font that you did. Well, what's your text evidence that supports your choice? Find me the find me the passages from the text that prove that that's the right that's the right font to use. Find me the passages that prove that's the right image to use. So you used a photo and not a hand drawn image or a painting. Why? Yeah. Why is it? Why did you choose realism and not abstraction? Right. And you don't have to. You don't have to like have a, a super complicated. Um, choice making for the kids that that like might marginalize kids who don't have artistic backgrounds they're like no do you want to do something that looks realistic or do you want to do something that looks like an idea right mm -hmm. Con you know conceptual versus realism you explain those basic things you have them make choices and explain their choices and in the articulation of of their explanation that's when you start seeing like why they did what they did and that's where you get like that's where I get like super excited as an educator. And awesome. and so the book is 40 plus activities that anybody can do in any classroom K through as we say pre-K through postgrad because it's really intended for it's content agnostic. We show how it how it intersects into all these different content areas, all these different pathways that you could possibly uh, take with it. Um, everything is intended to be remixed because everything is remixed. And um yeah, I mean, we're super proud of it. it. Came out a few years ago, and it's pretty evergreen. There's like maybe one or two things in there that you might go, "Well, that didn't age great," from 2018 to now. <laughs> but, but the rest of it is like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, we could do that. Color palette and scoring the news and soundtracks of your lives and there's a lot. There's a lot there. That's awesome. So we'll put the we'll put a link to the book in the show notes because it, it sounds awesome. The Sandbox is creating a learning ecosystem where educators can learn in weekly streams, bring ideas into their classrooms, collaborate with other educators, and become Sandbox ambassadors. Our goal for the stream is to show the world how low the barrier can be to teaching and learning game making through our no-code and accessible platform. Anyone can do it. Passion and education. You can feel it in the streams as we explore and share ideas around game design implementation in your teaching practice. Join the community to learn more at go.participate.com slash sandbox. Um, speaking of, um, you know, some other things that you're working on, I, I came across, um, um, I'm, I'm kind of in South by Southwest mode right now to everyone, <laughs> everyone that we know are all, all of our inner circles are, are, are hawking our our sessions at the right. moment i i'm coming sessionless but i'm still coming to texas mainly because i mainly because i want to party so i'm, 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 I'm working I'm... on getting there i'm figuring it out brad so... we will find a way we will find a way to get you to texas but but you are working on uh a session and and and, and pitching it in the panel picker that i i think is absolutely fascinating mainly because 
I, I've been talking about this for a long time about, you know, things like comics and, and I, I talk about um, graphic novels all the time. And, and I used to tell parents um, at, at the school that I taught at, I said, you don't, you don't care what your kid reads. Like if they're re if they want to read a graphic novel, let them read a damn graphic novel because right. it is, it, it, they will love it. They will be into it. They'll be engaged and they're reading and so what do you care? Um, I had a, I remember having a kid that, that loved reading car magazines and could yeah. tell me everything about the new Ferrari. And I was like, they said, don't you think that's bad that they don't want to read the novel? And I'm like, no, they're, they're reading about what they care about. How about some novelists write a good novel about cars? <laughs> Does anyone know of one? I don't. Right. So you're doing this amazing panel, uh, this panel picker presentation. Um, talk about comics in the classroom because I'm I'm super fascinated and we want to put the link in the show notes so that people can go vote for it as well. Sweet. Thanks for doing that. So yeah, I, I put, let's see, uh, my uh, partner in uh, our, our comics exchange, one of my partners in our international comics exchange, um, Jackie Gardy. Uh, has a has a pitch in there for panel picker uh, all around the work that we did with comics in the classroom internationally, uh, and then I uh, at the same time I was like, oh, you know what would be a good session? So I put in a pitch uh, for a for a critical creativity session actually. So um, we got kind of like both. There's two in there, um, but the panel that we're really hoping to to put on showcases are. Um, AE Comics VX experience, which was done through the United States State Department of all places. Because mm -hmm. when you think innovation, the first thing you think of is, you know, United States government bureaucracy. I bet they've got a right. lot of cool comic things books going too. on. Totally, Especially you totally comic think books, of comic things, books. right? Yeah, you totally think of comic books. But they're mostly just the villain in comic books. I don't think that's, that's their premise. State Department, right? comic books. Right? But, yeah. So I've been a consultant <laughs> for... <laughs> for for state for i want to say like f almost four years now and it's been awesome because i work in the english language program in the office of english language programs which is uh part of the bureau of educational and cultural affairs and so it it kind of it sits in in one of those corners of state that doesn't get all the attention that it that it probably deserves but it's also you know the, the non-political side it's really about soft diplomacy and developing relationships and really trying to help all people become stronger communicators and stronger thinkers and critical thinkers and yes it promotes american values like core american values like um kindness and understanding and empathy and uh, acceptance and things that yes in our discourse right now might seem a little off um but uh if we live in ideal land that's what that's what it's it, it's designed to do is to to create uh a, a foster an appreciation and a love for critical thinking in english language so um we jackie gardy and i and our friend josh Alves, who's an amazing artist we created a comic book guide to creating comics in the classroom called panels and perspectives and it's a 22-page comic that explains how to use comics in the classroom. Um, oh, cool. And it's for free. You can get it. Uh, we'll, I'll send you guys the link so you can throw those in the show notes. Um, but it's um, 
it's pretty fantastic. It shows how you can use it to build empathy, how you can use creating comics to demonstrate your understanding of language, to demonstrate your understanding of your culture, understanding of people around you. That was really successful. So we did this like year and a half experience with 400 educators around the world in, I'm going to get the number of countries wrong, but something like 43 different countries over uh, in these uh, three different cohorts we did it with. And it was uh, uh, Jackie, myself, our good buddy, Tim Smythe, who people might know from history at history comics. Um, he's a huge comics in the classroom guy, uh, really like a, a major player in that world. And uh, our friend uh, Jen Williams, who people might know at Jennifer Williams EDU. She's all over everything uh, with uh, sustainable development goals and international exchanges and, mm -hmm. and does amazing work. So we've facilitated this exchange experience all around teaching teachers around the world uh, how to have their students create comics to demonstrate what they know. And the teachers had to make comics themselves in order to learn it. So we ended up creating three volumes of anthologies of teacher-made comics. That's so good. Which is like, and they're super great because they they had to create their own superheroes that represented their cultural, like, like, like what matters to their culture and their communities and use them to then solve problems in either their community or other communities. And they just came up with these fantastic superheroes and so you had like people from senegal like talking with people in brazil and finding all these common all this common ground about like similar oh, problems rad. they were facing and finding like that their values are like the same which for me it's not shocking right like because i think most most values are pretty pretty standard across most of the world um we're more alike than we are different um, but for a lot of people, it's it is stunning. It is like a a whoa what, um, because they haven't had the experience to to learn that to or or to to really be immersed in that, and it's just it's just awesome. I mean, it was like tear invoking to see some. We had uh, we had Jeremy Williams on the podcast once, and he teaches in the Middle East, and and he went on for about a half an hour just talking about how it's not. Like, it's not anything like, like the average American perception of what, um, what the Middle East is, is so off of what it actually is. Yeah. That it's, it's mind blowing to the average American what it's like over there. And, and, and that, so it, that whole idea of, you know, that it's amazing. Like something like that comic books can just bring people together and make 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 it remind you that you know we're we are a lot more similar than we all think we are yeah especially when we're not focused so much on like reading superhero comics or reading a particular comic it's it's not about the reading it's about the creating because you're using those words and images and the fusion of those two things to to express ideas and so what the what the 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 visual language might lack the verbal language like comes in to help and vice versa yeah. And the beautiful thing, uh, you know, the magic of comics is the gutter, right? It's the space in between each panel. That's where all the mojo happens. It's all the things you don't see. And whether or not you understand the relationship between image one and, you know, panel one and panel two, 
And that's what you see, like all these people getting it. And it's like this, it's it's beautiful. It's really, truly yeah. amazing to watch people look at each other's comics and they may not be able to read all the words and they may not understand all the art, but they know in between the two, they put it together and they understand what the idea is. We go back to that intention idea, right? Because they're making things on purpose. And that's the thing that we teach them about making comics. Comics work really well when you do things on purpose when you use intentionality when you you know it's not about art all the time it's not you can make a really great comic using stick figures we've all seen sure. it right yeah it's about yeah. what's the how are you communicating those ideas using these simple shapes and simple you know the these these relatively simplistic pieces to express some pretty powerful ideas and you can see it it's just like what you were saying about like that that understanding that we think we have. I it was super cool. We uh, one of the the teachers, uh, Walla, who's actually on our panel that we're we're pitching. Um, we're hoping that she gets to share her story and a gusto uh, from uh, let's see uh, Honduras. Uh, we're hoping that he gets to share his story uh, yeah. at South by. Um, so uh, Walla her students got online with some of my students last fall just before thanks thanksgiving and they want they were studying american thanksgiving and wanted to find out like so is this stuff true and 90 percent of what they had <laughs> <laughs> what they had been learning was like not true for maine it was like true for some other things but then she's like so we're going to sing you the traditional thanksgiving song and all my kids were like, the what? And they're like, you know, the the, the song. Don't you sing the song? And the, the, she goes, everyone. And they sang it. And the poor kids were like so mortified. But they were singing it. And our kids were just like, we don't know what this is. What are you talking about? And it was just one of those things, you know, it ends up in a book with like, oh, here's the song about Thanksgiving. Right, but the way it's framed, it seems like oh, this gets, is yeah. what everyone sings at Thanksgiving time. Thing. I'm like, oh, oh no, no, nope. Uh, let's see. There's a there's a radio station that plays the song Alice's Restaurant uh, every year <laughs> uh, by Arlo Guthrie. Uh, uh, but but uh, that's not nope. There you go. I got nothing there. <laughs> it was, but that's... it was just this like great moment, and the kids sharing, you know, the difference between. You know, they had they have family in other states, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, down south, like we, you know, there's this tradition that my family has down in Maryland, and and my family over in Kentucky, and my family, and it's all a little different." And it helped yeah. those kids in Egypt realize just how freaking big the United States is. <laughs> right? That's it, and it helped um... our kids. It helped our kids understand too. Like, oh, so you guys are in Cairo. Yeah, that's this tiny little dot in Egypt. Egypt is right. E Egypt is, is a pretty big country too. Is, is really big. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, guys, look, math. That's awesome. So, that's awesome. Anyway. I want to I want to switch gears just a, a a little. And one of the things that I I I, I appreciate about you um, is is your willingness to engage in in you know political conversations. Um, you retweet politics um stuff you you share your opinion on politics 
um, as an educator, and you're a, you're a well-known educator, and um, you know, I, I think the common concern is is that you know this stuff can hurt you, and depending on where you live, in particular, you know, it's 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 yeah. a little more concerning being from a, a red state, predominantly red state. You you live in Maine. Yeah, um, we're we're you know, a, and I and I'm and I'm Canadian, solidly purple. which is. We are, yeah, we are yeah. the purplest of the purple states. <laughs> we... and, and, and I'm, you know, I'm whatever is more blue than your blue. That's what I am. <laughs> you know, technically, technically orange is my color because I'm an NDP supporter. So, so there's that. And, and you know, I, I always joke, I'm just shy of being a socialist. So, so there's, that's, that's me. But I'm also fairly willing to share my political we're facebook friends so we see each yeah. other's comments all oh, the time yeah. and um so I, I wanted to at least get your thoughts on you know how you feel about stepping out you know and, and sharing your thoughts on you know your your favorite senator um and, <laughs> and you know oh, you know whatever dear. other thoughts you have and, and <laughs> you know how you you know, reconcile, you know, your job and your career yeah. and your, you, you know, your desire to travel and spread your message to other places that may or may not be more, more accepting of, you know, teachers sharing their political opinions. Uh, what are your, what yeah. are your thoughts? Well, tell us what you think about Susan Collins. No, don't. It's okay. <laughs> no, awesome. Yeah. I can, I can, I can tell you what I think about Susan Collins in like in about four words at this point. Like I am over it. Um, yeah. But, uh, uh, so I guess it's my first belief is that teaching unto itself is a political act. Yes. Um, education yes. is, is political. And when people say there's no room for politics and education, I say, then why do elected officials decide how our schools work? Why do we vote for school boards? Why does it matter if someone's a Republican or a Democrat when they run? Why do we have governors and state legislatures making the final decisions on things about how our public schools run it's because schools are inherently political it just is it's not like up for debate it just is um so i find that um when i was younger i had a heart you know I, I i played it a little closer to the chest i do live in a a fairly conservative area, but also a very dynamic one in Western Maine where we have university campuses. And so we do have a really strong liberal, so to speak. I, 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 the, the, the terms liberal and conservative at this point for me drive me crazy because they don't mean what they used to. Back in my day, it just meant you wanted slow change or you wanted big change. Back in my day, Republicans wanted smaller government and Democrats wanted bigger government. Right, but liberal in Canada means centrist. So right, yeah. and now it's all like, Nikio cats are kissing dogs, and it's all the crazies. Um, it doesn't mean what it used to mean, right? Because there's just as many radical, radical conservatives as there are radical liberals, and just as many uh, moderates in both places. Like it, all of those labels. It's not that we shouldn't have labels. We need them in order to understand things, but just the the terms have gotten co-opted to fit particular agendas so often that that's where a lot of it falls apart 
because we won't really listen to what the other person is saying. We, we label it immediately. And I think that's something that kids need to know. So my goal when I go into a cl my classroom isn't to go in and promote one agenda or the other. My goal is to, is to promote them to think and to think, why do you think the way you think? And it, I mean, like it loops back to the book. Like, why did, why did you like explain to me your thinking? Not because I'm trying to change your mind, but because I want you to really understand why you think the way you think. What led you to this conclusion? And if the answer is because my uncle said so, that's the answer. Like, that is that is your truth. I'm not going to like sit there and be like, your uncle's wrong. I am going to say like, well, if what you just said is racist, let's talk about racism, right? If what you just said is sexist or homophobic, that goes against our core values as a learning community because we create a safe environment for all. So... We don't have to out everybody out in the room to do this. We can do this on the side. But it's important that people who do feel like attacked in the room or feel unsafe know that I've got their back because it's it, it doesn't have to be a, a us versus them. But they need to know that I support them because I support everybody. Just as when that person says something disparaging about the background or the person or the identity of someone who shares a different political view from them, I go, hold on, whoa, 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 whoa. Not everyone who owns a gun is a horrible person. That's, in no, there's nothing wrong with gun ownership. There's nothing wrong with hunting. There's nothing wrong with like all these things. There's nothing wrong with believing in small government. There's nothing wrong with, totally there's true. nothing wrong with believing that representative democracy has flaws. There's nothing wrong with believing in Medicare for all. And there's nothing wrong with believing that you should have to pay your own way in certain, you know, there's nothing actually wrong with any of those beliefs. What's wrong is when we then just over, uh, like we, we paint an incredibly broad brush and then we start making judgments on people as humans and deciding how they have to live their lives uh, based solely on one particular set of ideology. Which just happened. The weapon, to... the weaponization of those beliefs. That's exactly yeah. it. You just said it. That's mm -hmm. exactly it. So it is my job as an educator to protect the safety and sanctity of all of my students. Yeah. And the reality is, as much as some people don't want to hear it, and I always get the what aboutism, there is a tradition, generational tradition, of one particular sets of ideology infringing upon the other again and again and again and again so i don't have any problem calling out racism for what racism is or homophobia or transphobia like now calling it out doesn't mean that you know i called out differently on twitter than i call it out in my classroom <laughs> and because the internet you put it on the internet and it is it's everywhere right like you can't hide anything so i don't have separate accounts I don't have separate yeah, identities. I don't yeah. change it up and have my personal one and my business one and my like I get why some people do and that's okay. That's their choice. For me, I just I am who I am and I know that whatever I put out there is eventually going to come back around to me. So I make sure that everything I put out there like if someone goes, "Did you tweet that?" I say, "Yes." 
Uh, is that a so problem stand, for you? And so why? Can stand behind. Yeah. <laughs> and why is that yeah. a problem? Well, because, you know, because this, 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 and this. I go, well, I disagree with you completely. And what you just said uh, e- either misrepresents what I said or I fundamentally disagree with. And if you want to bring it up about whether or not I can teach your kid, okay, let's have a conversation about whether or not I can teach your kid. I've been right in it with small town like school budget politics for so long like i got into it with the with anonymous trolls on our local newspaper all the time because i'd call them out for their (laughs) stupid usernames and like call them out for like being too cowardly to own their ideas like isn't it weird that i'm like have no problem telling you exactly who i am you knowing exactly how much money i make you know exactly where i live you know all these things and i don't have any like and and you don't have any problem telling me that i should be fired and i should lose my job and i don't know any things about you because you're unwilling to share any of it and their immediate response is that's because i don't feel safe sharing it i'm like are you kidding me you threatened my livelihood like yeah, 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 15 yeah, yeah. times in the past year alone. Some, that's some <laughs> raging cognitive dissonance there. Well, that's <laughs> it. It's just, and I don't like, yeah, it's just, it's it's so odd. So yeah, I, I do. I share stuff that's political. I am very deliberate in what I retweet and what I don't, however. And if you go through what I share and you go through, if you go through my social media, like you'll find that I have a threshold. I don't, I don't uh, tend to repost things or retweet things that are just name calling. In fact, if there's name calling, I almost never do it. Hmm. Um, with a few exceptions, you know, like there's certain people who just have such a gift for it that I can't like not sometimes, right? <laughs> but if it's if it's not a, if it's not about anything that I really care about, I don't share it. But if it's anything at all that's like, yes, we need to we need to signal boost this a little bit. People need to be aware. People need to know this is going on. Heck yeah. All the all the social justice stuff. I mean, I am middle class white privilege to the hilt. Like, mm. it's not because I'm rich, it's because like I have not wanted or needed for much in my, you know, 45 years on this earth. I have had a despite struggling with mental health and struggling with with anxiety and depression struggling with body image struggling with all these things i am still a white protestant male in you know in in america in 2021 i got it pretty easy kids in in maine yeah in, in maine, maine no less. the yeah. whitest state in the country <laughs> like which is having a change in in its demographic too cuz we have huge immigrant populations in our state that are amazing yeah but we just had a horrible incident of racism in my hometown just over this past weekend that like it just broke my heart to see this guy's car just spray painted with the n-word and kkk and all this horrible stuff happened to this guy simply because he's pakistani like no no acceptable reason for it right yeah um so we still got a lot of work to do, you know, but we are a changing, we're a changing demographic here too. And, you know, I feel like part of my, I don't know, I, I, I've got the privilege where the ramifications, if the ramifications, someone mad at me in town. Okay. 
<laughs> you know, like, all right, it's not like my livelihood's going to be taken away because that's not going to be what happens. It's like, it just isn't as long as I'm being respectful and like thoughtful and mindful about how I go about being a political, a politically active minded person. You know? Nice. Well, speaking of your political activities and, and sharing that vision out there, you know, we first of all, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It was a great chat. We really enjoyed talking to you. Um, if our audience wants to know more or talk to you more, connect with you, where can they find you? You can find me all over the internet. I'm at Wicked Decent on all the socials. Uh, so, But really the two that I spend my most, my, most of my time on is Instagram and uh, Twitter. You can also check out my website, danrider207.com. And if you're like, wait, what was the number? It's just Maine's area code. Because we only got like nine people. So we only have one area code. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's it's pretty easy. We we sometimes get each other's mail. That's right. I just, I just drive it over to Lubeck. Just a mere five and a half hour drive. Quick hop, skip, and a jump. Uh, and okay. drop it off at Mike's house. Um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> That's where you can find me, and um, and I love talking education and learning and nerding, all the nerdy things. Sure, like except for Zelda, all the nerdy things. I just can't Zelda. talk Zelda. I don't have a thing against Zelda. I just don't. Oh, God, I, just, I just don't have a point of reference. I, I have no I reference. I'm Look alone. at me. I've got I'm a, on an island. I'm on an island of my own. You guys right. can't see it, but there is a 1979 Millennium Falcon on the top shelf behind me. <laughs> like i am i am dyed in the wool nerd but the Fantastic. zelda train passed me by yeah, and, I, and me i watched by it go and i've said <laughs> hey you know what you watched the legend of zelda episodes of the super mario brothers super show and you enjoyed them and that's enough that's, that's okay we're good. we're good uh dan dan Ryder, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the podcast Hey, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. This is super fun. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Brad Treffler. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the On Podcast Media Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Monica Burns, Mike Matera, Tisha Richmond, and many more by visiting onpodcastmedia.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at OnEducationPod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found at Brad Shruffler. You can find us on Facebook by visiting Facebook.com slash OnEducationPod. We're also on Instagram at OnEducationPod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you would share it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Participate, for supporting us. Check out participate.com to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.